Seamus, The Case of the Oily Preacher, Part 5, American Gothic, is inspired by the pulp fiction story Nick Carter Strikes Oil, author unknown. Pat and I dusted ourselves off as best we could and both wiped our feet at least three times before following Strike into the house. We were met with a tidy, cozy country home and the fierce stare of Ms. Strike. She was a wisp of a woman with her hair piled on top of her head. The deep crease between her pinched eyebrows made her look like a force to be reckoned with. I couldn't blame her for not greeting us with open arms. What new misfortune was marching through their door now? First, her husband brings in a crooked businessman, a past whose good name wasn't so good after all. And when the police finally show up to talk to them about it all, they're asking the wrong questions. Miss Strike's trust in the trusted was badly shaken. Much like her husband, the fierce scowl was quickly replaced with honest concern when she stopped to look at us. A ragged pair of aging ex-partners roughed up largely by Mother Nature. <laughs> As tousled and torn up as Pat looked, I can't imagine I looked any better. Oh, my word. Look at you two. Are you all right? Before either of us could answer, she looked at her husband with wide eyes. Did you do that to them? Of course not. I only shot one of them. Alan! No, honey. I'm sorry. Your husband actually saved my life, Miss Strike. I just happened to get in the way of the bullet while he was doing it. You've been shot? It's a scratch, ma'am. I assure you. He whines about catching a cold. But there's so much blood on the front of your shirt. Pretty sure that's from the mountain lion. Might be some from the car accident. Mountain lion? Ah, oh, would someone please tell me what is going on? Mrs. Strike, if I may... I'm Captain Patsy Danube, and this is Special Investigator Hunter James. We were on our way to speak to you and your husband about Pastor Lowe and Steve Bigelow when we had a car accident. We're both okay, just a bit banged up. Your home was close, so we walked here, and that's when we encountered a mountain lion. Mr. Strike shot it before it could attack. Hunter was grazed by the bullet, but I promise we are both fine. Why didn't you call someone for help? No service. Strike nodded quickly, a fact of life living in the mountains, I suppose. Ms. Strike crossed her arms and worried her bottom lip. A final glance at her husband seemed to set her mind. All right. If we can help. Um, would you two like to freshen up a bit first? Yes. Yes. Staring at myself in the mirror of the small half-bath, I finally understood the strike's concern. I looked like something out of a horror movie. I was a walking mummy of bloody tattered cloth encased in a fine layer of dirt. The bullet graze had left a seared strip across my cheek. Not much blood, but I had managed to smear it over half my face. The other half looked ghostly pale and sunken in. You've looked better, Hunter, old boy. I washed as best as possible and tended my wounds with the small first aid kit Ms. Strike had loaned me. 
The majority of the cuts were shallow, scrapes and scratches mostly. The mountain lion's claws had dug in deeper than I realized. It screamed alive as I cleaned the four narrow slices down my belly. At least I'll get a cool scar or two out of all this. Alan Strike loaned me a t-shirt, something you get from a fundraiser or school event. The logo was long since faded. It was a bit snug as Strike was a tall, lean man compared to me, but it smelled clean and was in one piece. He had mumbled something about not wanting to scare the kids when he handed it to me. Can't say I blame him for that. My general impression of the Strikes was that they were honest, kind, hard-working people. I really hope Strike isn't a killer, even an accidental one. This is a part of being a cop I don't miss. Cleaned up, I entered the brightly lit kitchen. My stomach growled loudly at the smell of food and fresh coffee. Alan Strike was in the living room, setting up three little tables. Ms. Strike was doling out food onto three small plates. Pat cleaned up, sitting at a table across from three sets of big brown eyes, staring at the stranger in the house. Little girls with cherub faces sat bunched together at a single chair. The oldest, who couldn't be more than eight, had one arm around the girl next to her while a toddler with a crown of curls squirmed in her lap. Their wide eyes shifted in my direction. Pat turned in her seat to look over her shoulder at me. The pained expression on her face told me everything I needed to know. (laughs) Pat was never comfortable with kids. While their eyes were filled with curiosity, Pat's eyes said, Help me. Good evening, ladies. How are you doing tonight? The girls laughed at the silly-looking man while their mother cast a warning glance my way. I understand you're concerned, Mama Bear. Do your thing. I stepped out of Mrs. Strike's way, uh, her hands full. She balanced the plates, cutlery, and small cups with practiced ease. All right, you heathens. Grown-ups need to talk. Go to the living room. Dad's put on a movie. We get to eat in the living room? Yes. Mrs. Strike stopped to look at me. This better be worth the risk to my rug. Yes, ma'am. I took a seat next to Pat. Relief filled her face. What took you so long? I didn't know what to say. <laughs> They're kids. Just say hi. A bright white bandage covered the gash on Pat's forehead. Alan Strike had loaned her a shirt as well. Pat was built like an Amazon. I doubt Mrs. Strike's things would fit. A ridiculous image of Pat crammed into the tiny woman's clothes popped into my head. (laughs) Pat looks at me as I try to stifle a laugh. I was rescued by Alan Strike once again. He entered the kitchen, Mrs. Strike on his heels, having settled the brood out front. Before I knew it, plates and food landed before my eyes. It smelled like heaven. Thank you, Mrs. Strike, but you don't... Bet. My name is Bet. I can hear your bellies rumbling from here. No one goes hungry in my house. Alan Strike sits to my right. He smiles and shrugs. Would you like a cup of coffee or sweet tea, Mr. James? I would love a cup of coffee. It has chicory in it. Hope you don't mind. I tip my head back a little and close my eyes, breathing in the heavenly aroma as she sets the cup down. I open my eyes to see Alan Strike with a bemused look on his face. You married a fine woman. Yeah, I did. 
The coffee is too hot. I blow on it, impatient for that first sip. Now, why are you here? So close. We're investigating the death of Pastor Lowe. Yes, Alan mentioned he had passed on. I can't say I'll grieve the man, but my heart goes out to his family. What does that have to do with us? Your husband had an argument with Pastor Lowe on the day he died. Alan is all bark. Well, honey, you are. Why aren't you asking us about Lowe and his scam? That sounds like a good place to start. How'd you folks get mixed up in all this? Pat cast an annoyed glance at me for the interruption. I put my hand on her shoulder, hoping to convey to a long friend my deepest thoughts with a look. I tried to communicate via ESP in my eyes. Shut up, Pat, and let them talk. I want to eat. I wish my intentions ran deeper, but the simple truth was I was tired, hungry, sore, and wanted to drink my coffee. If the strikes are talking, we don't have to. Pat seemed to catch my drift. She hoisted a mound of mashed potatoes in front of her face and nodded to bet to continue before wolfing it down. According to the strike, some men, including Bigelow, were doing land surveys and soil testing. Bigelow told them he wanted to buy the land they weren't using for the cattle to build a STEM school for advancing the education of girls in science and engineering. He said the poor land quality would be perfect for experiments to improve ranching and farming for future generations. Bigelow hit them in the heart with both barrels, and the name of a pastor posted as prison on every document they were hooked. Bigelow lowballed them from the beginning, but they were able to negotiate a price that would get them out of debt, but not much left over. They thought they were investing in their children's futures. Either Bigelow or his assistant made the error of adding the strikes to their mailers. They received a letter from Pastor Lowe. Not about the girls' school, but a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and the wonderful discovery of oil on the same land Bigelow had said was worthless. Friends of the clergymen were invited to invest in the company. They never met Lowe in person. Strike had recognized Lowe from his picture from some of the documents and letters they'd received, and he knew Bigelow. He had told Bigelow off many months before. What happened after the disagreement in town? I cooled off and finished running my errands when Beck calls me. A man called and said he was Pastor Lowe, said that there had been a terrible misunderstanding and asked if he could talk to Alan. I told him he was in town, but I'd call him. So I called him back. He told me the same thing as Bet. There was a misunderstanding and asked if I'd come talk to him at his hotel. What time was that? Uh, a little after three. I'm sure the phone has the time on it. What time did you arrive at the hotel? I was already heading back home. It took me a little while to turn around and find a place to park. I'd say about 3.30 when I passed the front desk. Did you notice anything unusual when you got to Lowe's room? Just the fact that he refused to see me. I told him it took me about a half hour to swing back around to his hotel. He gave me his room number and said he'd wait for me to get there. What did Pastor Lowe say then? Nothing. He didn't say anything. I knocked on the door and heard him moving around. I know I did. But he didn't say come in or anything. What did you do after that? I got mad. I drove all the way back over there just for him to refuse to see me. Banged on the door a few more times. I told him he could shove his head all the way up and Alan! Then I left. Oh, I did see Jeremy Carter as I was leaving. We haven't seen him in years. How is he? I don't know. I was angry. I didn't really recognize him. Plus, I wanted to turn right, but there was all these people running down the side of the street. 
So I had to turn left and take the long way home. Pat looked at me and we both knew Strike wasn't at fault, but someone was willing to let him take the blame. Mr. Strike, I'm going to have to take you into custody. Thank you for listening to Seamus. If you like this episode of Seamus, please leave a review and tell your friends. This has been Seamus, The Case of the Oily Preacher, Part 5, American Gothic, based on the pulp fiction story, Nick Carter Strikes Oil, author unknown. Hunter James was played by Patrick Brancato. Patsy Daniel was played by Marsha Hinton. Alan Strike was played by Thomas Thompson. Bet Strike was played by Kathy Slack. I'm Leslie Woodroff. This episode of Seamus was written by Raven Wisdom and directed by Jean Phillips. Sound design for Seamus is provided by OpenMicRecordingStudio.com. Seamus is a New Meadows Media production. All rights reserved.